but to Luke chapter 11. The first 13 verses this morning are before us in a study that I've entitled, Making Prayer a Priority. And the moment you begin to talk about prayer in the church, it opens up a myriad of things in people's hearts and minds. What is it? How do we do it? Why do we do it? What is the basis for it? Where does it come from? Uh, can you do it wrong? You know, I, I've actually had people ask me, you know, can you, can you pray wrong? Well, I suppose you can if you're not praying in the Spirit of the Lord or if you're seeking some uh, ill way to cajole God, and that seems to be in view this morning. But we have been created as people who ought to make prayer a priority. And so I ask you this morning, how big a priority is prayer in your life? Jesus himself, as we'll see here, is absolutely a prayer warrior. This is the sixth of seven times in Luke's Gospel that we have recorded for us Jesus in prayer. And if Jesus himself saw it necessary to have a vibrant, dynamic, powerful prayer life, then how much more so do you believe that you and I ought to have a powerful and dynamic prayer life? I believe, as I've stated before, that it is one of the great weaknesses of the church that we don't beseech the Lord for His will, for His plans, for His purposes, as often as we should. And very often, prayer is the court of last resort for God's people instead of the first choice that we make every morning. Prayer becomes something that we do when we're simply in trouble, when things have gone awry, when we have no idea what to do, where to go. And in Jesus' prayer life, we find the King of kings and the Lord of lords seeking His Father's will before things go bad, before the world gets turned upside down, before the persecution unfolds, before He goes to Calvary's cross, before each occasion, before He picked the disciples, what did He do? Prayed. Before he goes to the cross, what do you think he's going to do? Pray. And for us, mm, not so much sometimes. Making prayer a priority. Would you pray with me? Father, as we come this morning, Lord, not to simply uh, regurgitate some words that we heard someone once say. We come desiring to hear from heaven. Lord, we want you to speak to us as your children. We want to know what is your good and your perfect will for us. And so as we open up our hearts and our minds to receive, we pray that you would speak. And as you speak, we pray that we would listen. And as we listen, we pray that we would apply. And as we apply, we pray that we would battle. And as we battle, we pray for victory. And so, Lord, bless us as we study your word. Help us to know and to understand. We ask these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Verse 1 here in Luke 11. 
And now it came to pass that as he was praying, notice the certainty, notice the purpose, notice that it is not something that's odd, but is stated very matter-of-fact as he was praying. This didn't surprise Luke. This wasn't something that was new in the life of Jesus. This wasn't something that he did sporadically. The way that this is stated in the original language, this was a habit that Jesus had as he was praying. He was always praying. And so as he was praying, in a certain place, very likely the Mount of Olives, we don't know for certain, but in a certain place, and the reason it says certain there is because Luke knew where to find Jesus in that certain place. The disciples knew where to find Jesus in that certain place. And it doesn't mean that you can only pray in a certain place or in a certain posture or in a certain method or manner. But so much a part of Jesus' life was prayer that the disciples knew where to find Jesus and they knew what he would be doing, praying. Can you say that about your prayer life? Can your children find you at the dining room table praying? Can your spouse find you praying? Can people in a restaurant see you praying? Do you pray frequently? Do you pray often? Do you pray as Scripture admonishes us without ceasing? Is prayer so much a part of your life that people find you praying? I pray they do. Men, we meet at 5.30 every Tuesday morning right here at the church to pray. Is it early? Oh, yeah. But is it a blessing to gather together and to seek the face of the Lord? You better believe it. It's a privilege to lift up the needs of the church, the needs of the body, individual needs. People know where to find me on Tuesday morning. How big a priority is prayer in your life? And when he ceased... And I want you to notice this, the way that is phrased. Jesus kept right on praying with them there. He didn't stop because they showed up. One of the funniest things in the world to do is while you're praying over your meal in a restaurant, keep praying when the waitress comes back. Just keep going. And then pray for her salvation while she's standing right there at the table. Lord, I hope she knows you. He knows you. I want to pray for the people in this restaurant right now. May they see us honoring you and give you glory. Jesus didn't quit simply because somebody walked up. And when he ceased, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. The original language doesn't actually say teach us how to pray. It says, instill in us 
a godly desire to pray. And I'll get to the reason why this is so important that you understand this in a moment. Though you can see a template, a model for prayer, and we're going to look at that, that's really not what Jesus is doing. And it isn't the question he was asked. He was asked, Lord, help us to make prayer a priority. Teach us to pray. Not how to pray. Teach us to pray. As John also taught his disciples. And so he said to them, passage that we know is the Lord's Prayer. This is the abbreviated version. Matthew's Gospel records a few details that are not included here. But it is a model, it's a template. And we'll look at those things contained in it in a moment. But he is really teaching them to have a prayer life, not simply a prayer that they can repeat. When you pray, say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And thy kingdom come, and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us, Lord, of our sins. And forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And so Jesus gives the abbreviated version of what's found in Matthew's Gospel. And there, of course, there are a few more details. And, of course, there it is forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. You, you see, it is important that we pick up what Jesus is trying to get at here. And I want to be kind while drawing attention to what I believe is not simply heretical praying, but also the wrong kind of praying because Jesus said it was the wrong kind of praying. And that would be to pray the rosary. Nowhere in Scripture are we told ever to pray to or through Mary. And so those 150 times, if you pray the entire rosary, that you would uh, repeat and pray through Mary. Jesus never did it, and Jesus never encouraged it. And in fact, he said exactly the opposite in Matthew's Gospel. There in chapter 6 and verse 7, it says, And when you pray, do not use vain repetition as the heathen do. For they think that for their many words they will be heard. And therefore, do not be like them. We're not supposed to simply repeat endlessly over and over and over the same words. We are supposed to be talking to God. We are supposed to be beseeching the King of Heaven, the only one who has the capacity to answer prayer. Nowhere in Scripture, nowhere in Scripture, are we told to pray through anyone but Jesus Christ. So please, make your praying purposeful. 
not repetitive. You don't need a string of beads running through your fingers to remember to say the proper number of our fathers, this prayer. Jesus said, don't do that. He said, don't repeat it. He gets it the first time. Amen? He's not deaf. He can hear you well. And for all of our many speakings, we're not making the point any clearer by simply endlessly repeating the same phrase over and over again. Please don't do that. I believe that many people's hearts are right when they do. But it's ineffective prayer. I believe they want to be heard. So speak to the one who's listening. And so as Jesus begins this commentary on prayer, he's going to make it very clear exactly how we ought to format, if you will. I don't know how many of you have have used templates within Microsoft Word or PowerPoint, those types of things. Templates are simply a model into which you stick your information. Amen? So if I pull up a template for, say, this PowerPoint slide, if you were to look at the background of that PowerPoint slide, I have lots of options. I can select it as I did in this particular instance in widescreen 16 by 9 format. You know why I do that? Because we have a 16 by 9 projector up there, and so it widens it out. It's just like the movie theater. Now, see, I have to select that template. And at the top of that, there's a place for a title, and I have to select that template. But you know what doesn't come in there? The title. That comes from me. The scripture reference comes from me. What lies below it? There can be pictures in there and text and all kinds of... There could even be music. There could be a movie in there. It's a template. I can put anything into it that I want. The content is mine. So what Jesus is doing here is offering you a wonderful template into which you can put your heart's desire. Jesus is simply saying, when you pray, here's a good place to start. And he gives us very, very clear instruction now on some of the contents uh, of a prayer that's pleasing to God. Notice the first thing here, and I've simply called these the seven P's of being occupied in prayer. You're going to notice they're all P's, so they should be relatively easy to remember. The first thing, when we pray, notice it says, Our Father. Would you please be occupied with the perfect person that is your Father God? God doesn't make any mistakes. He, He doesn't have any ill will towards you or anybody else who's ever walked this earth. He's not cajoled. He can't be manipulated. He is absolutely perfect. And the implication is you're praying because he's your father. Not just a father. You know, if your children come to me because I'm a father, I understand what it's like to be a father. And I may well treat them Somewhat like I do my own sons, but I can tell you who gets the best of my attention. My own sons. 
because they're my sons and I am their father. God is your father, first person, personal. He's your father, and he's perfect. Jesus, as Father's Son, is perfect. The Holy Spirit is perfect. When you're praying, you're praying to the perfect person. And God wants to hear your prayer. Probably some of you, like me, have been guilty in your life of prayer, uh, of praying like God doesn't want to hear from you. You ever do that? It's like, okay, well, I'll ask him, but I know he's not going to answer this one. It's because you treat him like he's not your father. He is the perfect person to pray to. He's your father as a believer. He has your best interest in mind. And notice that this is totally God-centered. Absolutely, perfectly God-centered. I love it when my sons come and ask me simple questions because I get an opportunity to impart to them what I believe is, is the, the essence of how I may see that particular thing that they're questioning me on. And because I've lived longer than they have and been through lots of life experiences, my depth and breadth of knowledge is usually significantly greater than theirs. Now multiply that times infinity. You're not going to stump God. He is your Father. A second thing. Notice the praiseworthy place. Our Father in heaven. Family of God, heaven's a real place. Do you believe that? It is the dwelling place of God. Jesus came from there. He came to this earth. And He went back there. Our Father who is in heaven. He's not in a suburb of earth. Okay? Some people pray to God like, well, He's just kind of a glorified person who lives kind of in a better place than here. He is a perfect person who dwells in heaven. And nothing is apart from his understanding. Not a thing. So you're praying to a perfect God, a perfect person in a praiseworthy place. Heaven is a place of glory. We're not simply seeking what we can get out of this earth in a greater fashion. We're actually praying to the God who is in heaven. He's got a couple more resources there than we have here. Amen? We need to pray like that. So very often when we pray, what we do is we simply ask God to kind of give us what we think we can get out of this earth. He's in heaven. Pray heavenly prayers in that praiseworthy place. I want to point my thoughts there. I want him, I want to get his answer from there, not here. My goodness, if all you're trying to get is what you can get here, that's pretty pathetic. And I don't mean that to shame anyone. It's like, why would you want to settle for that? More of what earth has to offer? No, thank you. I, I, I got an email from Pastor Jack the, the, yesterday afternoon. You remember I told you what would be one of the results of AB 1266 getting carried out? We have already had an incidence of two boys raping another boy now in a bathroom in Riverside at school. You better pray heavenly because it ain't looking so good. 
Don't pray earthly, pray heavenly. We need God to intervene from heaven. That's what we need. We don't need more politicians, which, by the way, our brother Mike Morell won, for those of you who don't know, 61% of the vote. We need godly men in the state. We need to pray heavenly prayers. It may not look like it's even possible. Pray to the perfect God who's in the perfect place. Thirdly, we want to pray in that powerful purity Hallowed or reverend be your name. Can I just tell you a little thing about me? Please don't put reverend in front of my name. Number one, it only belongs in front of God's name. Reverend Father God. If you want to put it there, great. Kind of sounds weird, but go for it. Only God is reverend. Only He is to be revered. When I hear Reverend Jesse Jackson, it just it's like... Like, what? He's a politician. Nothing reverend about him. But God is. He's perfectly holy. He has no ill motivation. He doesn't think wrongly on any subject. He cannot be manipulated in any way, shape, or form. He can't be bought. He can't be sold. He is nobody's stooge. God is God alone, and He alone is worthy of being revered. Period. And thank you, Jesus, that that's true. Because if I had to select out of all the people on this earth who is supposed to be reverend, tell me what category you're going to stick most pastors in. If it's reverend, then you don't have any idea what reverend is. Because we ain't so holy, folks. Pant legs go on one at a time. There are thoughts that go through our heads that shouldn't be in our heads. We say the wrong thing, do the wrong thing occasionally. Praise God, it's not as bad as it used to be. But reverence belongs to God. And so when I'm praying, I need to remember that God in heaven is to be revered. A fourth thing. God has a perfect plan. He has predetermined purposes for which He wants us to pray. Do you think on your life that way? God has a perfect plan. Whose will is it? Whose kingdom is it? Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? Notice what it doesn't say there. Jeff's perfect plan, whatever that is. Let's get that done. The perfect will, the the best things that Pastor Jeff can think of on earth. If you're hoping and praying in my will getting accomplished, we need to sit down and talk. We want God's will. We want His predetermined purposes. Why do I use that phrase? Because if God is absolutely omniscient, Sees everything. He's omnipotent. Has all power. Then he can't make any mistakes. He also can't be taught anything. He can't learn anything. God knows everything. So if you want to know what needs to get done, why don't you ask the person who already knows what needs to get done? Amen? 
So from his perspective, they're predetermined. He has a perfect plan for everything. Our problem is we don't ask him what his plan is. We try and get him to validate our plan, which usually does not work out so well. Amen? Because I've asked God for some really lame stuff. I have. I've asked God to do things that he should not do. And looking back on it with hindsight, I'm like, man, I'm glad he didn't answer that prayer. Because that was not his predetermined purpose. That was my best guess. That was a scenario whereby I can, well, I kind of think that would work. My goodness, we don't want that, do we? I don't. I would rather have what God wants. And so his predetermined purposes. Jesus came to the world to die. Do you realize if the disciples had got their plan and their purpose, you would all be perishing and going to hell? Seemed like a good thing. Lord will save you. Run away. I'll lop off somebody's ear. It'll be fine. No, God's predetermined purpose was that Jesus would go to the cross and die for your sins. You see how it works? doesn't even seem rational. You're going to what, Lord? Now let me help you with it. You're going to get cancer? Uh-huh. Going to lose my house? Mm-hmm. Doesn't seem rational. Pray for God's predetermined purpose. He knows what he's doing. Just because something that you would categorize as bad has happened to you does not mean that God's not in it. He can work out his perfect will in anything and everything, even things that you wouldn't choose, even things you don't want. Now, did I just tell you, get ready, you're going to get cancer? Of course not. Did I just tell you, boy, I hope you lose your house? Of course not. What I'm saying is God can use anything and everything. Every day, in every way, he is able, if you're looking for his predetermined purposes. A fifth thing, give us this day our daily bread. Look at the plentiful provision there. You see, this doesn't fit our Western way of life, does it? It says, give us this day our daily bread. You know, what, you, you know how we would rewrite this? Give us a whole bunch of months' worth of bread so that we can sit around and do absolutely nothing and be lazy. That's actually how most Americans would pray. I want to have so many things that I don't even have to think about it. Now, am I telling you that having a savings plan is bad? No. Am I telling you it's wrong to have food in your house? No. Am I telling you that if you shop at Costco and you get one of those, I mean, who needs 75 gallons of mayonnaise? I mean, you go in there and it's like, why do I need one that big? I couldn't eat my whole family. We'd all die of a heart attack if we ate that. But we pray for things according to the Western way of life and not our daily bread. Sometimes we forget to pray for our daily bread while we're praying for God to give us things he doesn't even want us to have. Can't tell you how many people have prayed for a bigger house or more cars or more whatever, only to end up with more debt, and the more debt causes them to be completely useless to the Lord. Our daily bread. There is a focus here on his plentiful provision, which often is our needs. 
and not much more. That's what he's promised to give you, your daily bread. On the day, I might also add, that you need it. God is often not early, and he's never late. Sometimes it just comes, you know what that's called? Living by faith. Now, does that mean that you need to go and, you know, get rid of everything? I'm going to go clean out my house so I only have a day's worth of food in the house. I've actually had people ask me that question. No, it's not what I'm saying at all. But what I'm saying is, is when you trust in your pantry more than the provider, you've got it backwards. When you trust in your bank account more than your provider, you've got it backwards. When you trust in the size of your house or the plenty of your barns, you see, that's what the kings of Israel did. They trusted in their horses and their chariots and their barns. And they ended up going into captivity because of it. A sixth thing, and I love this. Anybody else love this one? The permanent pardon. Amen? When you're forgiven of your sins, your destiny's heaven. Amen? It's a permanent pardon. It's not a conditional pardon. A lot of people want to kind of believe that that pardon is conditional. You wake up and boy, I hope I'm okay today so that I can make it to heaven. I hope I do enough good things to balance out my family of God. If you're counting on doing enough good things to balance out your account, you're dead in your trespasses and sins. Because on your deathbed, you'll probably think something you shouldn't think. You might even do something you're not supposed to do. So it's all about you squaring it away. You're in trouble. By grace, you've been saved through faith. It's a permanent pardon, and that not of yourself. Here it is. Forgive our sins. As we forgive those who are indebted to us. That's why it's so unforgivable for Christians to be unforgiving. Do you get the picture here? You know how many times I've sat with people in counseling and talked to them, and while one is railing the other about something that's gone on in their life, and you look at them, you go, you realize that Scripture says that you have to forgive your brother who sins against you, right? I don't care. I'm not forgiving him. Hands go on the hip, just like I'm doing. I am not forgiving them. This was too big. Really? So what you're saying is the cross wasn't sufficient for you. You don't have a choice. If you've been forgiven, you have to be a forgiver. You got a perfect pardon. You have to pardon others. It's the character of Christ. That's why people who pray when they're in a state of unforgiveness towards other people have very limited effect in their prayer life. Jesus said, go clear up your thing with your brother and then you come back and offer your gift. Go square away your junk and then come back. Because the pardon's unlimited. Our forgiveness is supposed to be unlimited. We don't like that. That's why we don't like Peter's question. Well, how many times should I forgive? Seven times. Seven times is a lot. But eight? Uh-uh, no way. Fry them, burn them in hell. Kill them. Shoot them. Don't care. Jesus says, now forgive them a myriad of times. Seventy times seven. 
Just keep forgiving them. Because that's what happens to you. So when you pray, don't pray with unforgiveness in your heart. Because God's going to tell you this. Go square away the unforgiveness and then come back and pray. If you've got an ineffective prayer life, look and see if there's unforgiveness in your heart. Because if there is, I guarantee you that's one of the reasons, if not the reason. And finally, the potent protection. You know, I, I, I love this because this permanent pardon is there. You also have the protection of the Lord. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Who can deliver you from evil but God? Amen? Because if you think you can deliver yourself in this world, oh my goodness. This world is a mess, amen? You could bury your kids in a cargo container in the desert. I did not just tell you to do that, by the way. You could have K-Wave playing in there 24 hours a day, seven days a week. There could be nothing but Christian DVDs showing on the walls of the cargo container. They could never see anything ever, and I guarantee you they would steal from each other and lie to each other, and they would hate on each other because we are sinners who need a Savior. But praise God, we can be delivered from that by Christ. Because the answer to the attacks of the enemy is the blessings of God in our lives. Does that make us perfect? No, just perfectly pardoned and also potently powerful ourselves. You see, I now have God in me. Christ in me, my hope of glory. Not me in me. Not, man, I read all these books on how to live a successful Christian life, and so now I'm ready but God, who is rich in mercy. Amen? That's the answer. He's the deliverer. And so to illustrate this, a short story here at the end. He gives us these seven things. And he says, pray like this. Let this be your template. And then he said to them, which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. If you show up at my house looking for bread at midnight... Plan on me not answering the door, okay? I'm just not coming. Not going to happen. Here's why. If you are so lame as to figure out at midnight that you need bread, I can't help you. Okay? Me giving you bread will not fix the problem. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying here. There's another problem. For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer, and from within say, Don't trouble me, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed, and I cannot rise and give to you. And I say to you, and though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence he will rise and give him of his many needs. This is a tough little parable to interpret, unless you get the point that Jesus is trying to drive home here. Then it becomes somewhat simpler. And so I say to you, ask, singular, it will be given unto you. Seek, singular, and you will find. Knock, singular, and it will be opened unto you. For everyone who asks, that's an action, by the way, receives. And he who seeks, also an action, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. All actions. 
based on what you know about the prayer life you should have. And then he goes on to say, to illustrate this, if a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Not if you've seen the dental bills that I've had. There are expensive teeth in your mouth. You don't want them chewing on a rock. Or if he asks for a fish, will you give him a serpent? I saw a big serpent yesterday, a big old fat rattlesnake. I really don't want my kids playing with that. No, probably not. Or if he asks for an egg, will you give him a scorpion? Scorpion omelets are not that tasty. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit to those who have? Notice what he gives. Does he give everything you want? No. Does he even necessarily give you what you've asked for? No. Can he be manipulated? No. He gives you of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is the power source. The Holy Spirit's the information chain. It's very clear. People misinterpret this. And the most common way to misinterpret, well, if I just keep knocking on the door, can you give you a little secret to your prayer life? Pray. Pray without ceasing, but don't be obnoxious. God heard you the first time. Reinforce it. Remind him that you're still remembering it. Those are all good things. But incessantly cajole God, beat on the door. He wants to give you good gifts. So why do you suppose, if you haven't gotten what you've asked for, why do you suppose that is? Because he knows it's a snake or a scorpion or a stone. He's not giving it to you when you want it because it's not good for you. He's given you the divine weight card, the one we hate to get. He's saying to you, look, I haven't answered that prayer for a reason. And you banging on the door isn't going to make me give you something you shouldn't have. I'm not changing my mind. Those of you that have kids, you know this principle well. Please. They do that. They kind of whine. They squeeze their knees together. And they're like, please. You know what I'm saying, don't you? They look at you with really longing eyes. And all of a sudden, their eyelashes are even longer than they were before. And they kind of flutter in the breeze towards you. Please. Couldn't I just have unlimited texting? I know I'm only six. Everybody's got one. And you say, serpent. No, you don't need to have unlimited text at six years old. Why do you do that? Because you know it is bad for their development as a human being to spend all that time on a stupid cell phone. Amen? 
They're not learning to speak. They're not learning the English language. They're not learning to communicate in a way that's meaningful. They're not learning to read. They're learning nothing. You don't think that God knows those types of things? About everything. Remember who he is. He's perfect. Amen? So Jesus gives this example. He's not saying, man, don't bug me. I want to get some sleep. What he's saying is, look, and I want to take a a few moments here at the end and just elaborate on this a little bit. The basic problem with this guy and his asking was he was completely unprepared. He had done nothing to take care of the problem himself. And now he's going to a guy's house because he was slovenly, because he waited, because he did nothing. Now it becomes somebody else's problems, including God's. You see, God's purpose in prayer is not to make up for you being a slob, metaphorically speaking. It's not for you to, well, you know, I I don't really feel like I ought to have to work. I'm not going to cook any bread because I can just go to my friend's house and ask of him. You see, the picture is this guy didn't do anything himself. And so he puts the burden on someone else. He says, no, wait a second. And then at the end, grace is issued to him anyway. But he's driving home a point. You you see, God was not unwilling to answer. The issue is, when is God going to answer? It's not if. And God doesn't dig us out of every silly thing that we get ourselves into. Anybody in here ever been in a situation that you were in longer than you wanted to because you're a knucklehead? If I had another arm, I'd raise that one too. I've brought some things into my own life that I've had to suffer through because I didn't pray before I acted. Because I did not prepare in the Lord. Because I did not do what was wise and prudent, and then I asked God to bail me out. And lo and behold, God didn't bail me out. Shocker. God's not a genie. He's not some little bottle that you can, well, you know, I need more of this, and I'll just rub real hard. And, yes, Jeff, you have three wishes. It doesn't work that way. Notice what Jesus says. I say to you, he's not going to rise and give to him because he's his friend. He says, I'm not just going to get up because I'm your friend. I can, I could, but I'm not going to do that. But you're persistently asking, you're going to get something, but it may not be what you think. You see, what God is really saying, provisionally speaking, is God works according to very fixed principles with regard to prayer. And nowhere in Scripture is it taught that you sit on your hands and then come running to God at the end, and he's going to take care of everything. Nowhere in Scripture are we taught that you can do anything you want and have God answer every prayer just because you prayed in Jesus' name. In fact, exactly the opposite is taught in Scripture. 
God doesn't simply provide for the lazy person. God doesn't provide necessarily for the person who refuses to work, doesn't fill up your bank account when you will not go be industriously engaged. And this guy simply let his bread run out and then made it someone else's problem. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10 says, For even when we were with you, we commanded you in this, If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. For we hear that some of you are among you are disorderly, not working at all, and are busybodies. And now those who are such we command and exhort you through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in the quietness of their spirit and eat their own bread. You get the picture? God doesn't just bail us out of every dumb thing we get ourselves into. Proverbs 6 says much the same thing. So you want to know why your problem is, is ongoing? Is because you're busy sleeping. You didn't do the things that you could have done and should have done. You simply sat on your hands and said, Okay, Lord, now fix it. God doesn't work that way. Can he? Yes. And can he in his grace and his mercy bail you out of almost anything? Mm Mm-hmm. Sure can. Well, let me give you a secret to spiritual failure. Count on God to bail you out of every dumb thing you ever do. Because he's probably not going to. And in fact, you're likely to suffer because of those things. That's what Scripture says. And so in this plea, we find a principle that God's delays are not his desires. As you look at what God does, he's basically saying to us, look, you need to be praying earnestly and working diligently. Those two things go hand in hand. You need to make sure that you don't look at those, as George Mueller said, those stops as something that isn't from the Lord. Because those stops can be from God too. I'm thankful for the things that God has stopped in my life. He said, Mm-mm, you're not going that direction. He ordained steps as well, but he also ordained stops. And that God's delays aren't his denials. And so as you look at this passage of Scripture, notice how Jesus really phrases this. He says, look, I'm not going to give you anything that's harmful to you. I will not give you anything that's harmful for you. So if what you're praying for is harmful, you're not going to get it. Not from God. If you're praying for God to miraculously make up for the fact that you're doing nothing, you're probably going to be really hungry. If you're praying for God to bless your sin, ain't going to happen. Because he's not going to do anything that's harmful for you. He's only going to do what is his perfect will. If he is directly involved, it has to fit within his perfect will. Otherwise, he wasn't in it. You may have gotten it by yourself. The world may have handed it to you. So pray effectively. Pray patiently. Wait on the Lord. And make prayer a priority. Because when you do that, then you end up getting what God wants for you. 
And that's always the best. It may be less than what you want. It may even have some things that you don't like. But it will still be best. Because it's His. Amen? Make prayer a priority. Let's pray. Father, we ask this morning that you'd help us, Lord, to pray effectively and fervently, but also to be busy working. Lord, we want to have faith that works. We don't want to sit idly by on the sidelines and wonder why you're not helping us out, Lord. We want to be engaged. Lord, we ask that as we pray, that you would order those things that we pray about. We pray the Holy Spirit would be uh, just orchestrating, not just what we pray for, but how we pray. And Lord, we absolutely ask you to accomplish your will and not our own. And so, Lord, we bless you. We thank you for your love for us. Lord, we, we thank you that you won't give us anything evil, that you give good gifts to your kids. So if you're holding back, Lord, maybe this morning in one of our lives, it's for a purpose. If you've blessed us, it's for a purpose. If you've caused something to come upon us that, that we don't understand, it's for a purpose. And your purposes are good because you love us. We bless you. We praise you. We thank you, God. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.